Hi there. Did you miss me? Welcome to a special fall season of 76 West, a podcast from the Lambert Center for Arts and Ideas at the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan. Conversations of the JCC are made possible by Zabars and Zabars.com. I'm Jason Blitman from the Lambert Center for Arts and Ideas, and on today's episode, I talk to filmmaker Yair Kedar, whose film, The Last Chapter of A.B. Yehoshua, is featured in the JCC's 2022 Other Israel Film Festival. Yair Kedar is a filmmaker and an LGBTQIA activist. His academic training on 20th century Hebrew literature propelled him into The Hebrews, a documentary project on the Hebrew and Jewish literary canon centered on filming portraits of Hebrew writers from the 17th century to recent days. 16 feature-length documentary films have been made in this project so far, premiering in film festivals, airing on Israeli TV, and screened in hundreds of cinemas around the world. Please enjoy my conversation with Yair Kedar. Hi, Yair. How's it going? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Um, I am so excited to talk to you today. I had the pleasure of watching your film, The Last Chapter of A.B. Yehoshua, uh, which will be at the Other Israel Festival here at the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan, and we're so excited for that. Which I'm, I, I can't wait to talk to you about it, but before we do, I want to talk to you about you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so you, I'm so intrigued because you have this background in Hebrew literature. How did you become a filmmaker? Okay, at the beginning, I wanted to be a filmmaker, but then I thought that it was not, not smart enough, but I don't have enough knowledge. <laughs> So I went to study Hebrew literature and other things. It took me 20 years to make my first film. So the first really? film at just the age of 40. And it was about my, my LGBT activity, not about literary stuff. And then the second film was all, already about the, the literary world, which I studied a bit for, for, for a few years. So I uh, late bloomer, late bloomer. That's, that's. <laughs> well. So you you say that you didn't know enough, but you didn't go to school for filmmaking. So what, it, what was it? A hobby? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now when I was thinking about it, no, but uh, I didn't. I never studied filmmaking. But when I did my first film, uh-huh. I just took and I, I I'm, I'm consistent about it. I always work with the best professional around. Really, I make the the list of who are the best professional I can work with, and they are the mm-hmm. people that I work with. And I'm I'm very happy to be humble near them and to let them do their work, the professional work which I still know very little about. You know, I still don't. I know very little about lens and so many, but I shouldn't maybe shouldn't share it. <laughs> and it allows me also to be to be humble. And to let other creative people sometimes, you know, take the lead. And that's a very good experience, interesting experience again and again to repeat it in, in all of my uh, films. Um, yeah. Sure. And I'm curious to just to go back for a second. You, you said your first film was about your LGBT stuff. And let's be clear to our listeners that there's nothing scandalous about it. Your LGBT stuff was that because you are a prominent member of the Israeli LGBT community. Can you tell us a little bit about your activism and the work that you've done in that space in Israel? Uh, I, I, I came from a small city in the north, Afula, 
and I came to Tel Aviv. And then, you know, I began to make waves. I was part of the, the biggest uh, uh, wave of activism of the 90s. And I, I, I initiated several things. So I did the first gay theater show, the first uh, gay and lesbian post-called and, you know, queer studies uh, anthology, and the first, first actually, uh, queer newspaper, which is called The Pink Time, uh, Azman Avarod. And then I That's let other cool. people work on it because, you know, it, <laughs> and I went to do other things. But I still maintain, uh, you know, I have this, in the, in the end of the month, I have a premiere of a short queer film. So I'm still maintaining my uh, lo- loyalness, lo- loyalty. I'm still loyal. your, lo- your loyalty. Yeah, 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 your loyalty. Loyalty to the, to the original tribe. Wow. Very cool. Clearly, you did your, your, your gay days film, but then you transitioned to uh, marry your, your love of film and your degrees which I think is so cool. Can you tell us a bit about the Hebrews Project and what that, uh, how that came to be? Absolutely. And I will make another gay connection if, if I can. Please. When I was very young in Afula and I was bullied by the, the homophobes in the small town of Afula, mm. my friends were the books. Yes. That's where I found yes. refuge. So I, I also, I'm loyal to my books. And when my first films, the second and the, 20 films after that are devoted to Hebrew literature and culture. Um, and I, I wanted to have like a new concept. I don't know if it's new enough, but it was new to me to take their biographies, their life stories, and to connect it to their work, uh, to the poems. And that's such a challenge, you know, to take literature and poetry and translate it into documentary filmmaking. Mm-hmm. That's like a big challenge every time again and again. Uh, but that began the big project. The project is called The Hebrew, so it's already 17 films. That's the largest Israeli documentary project ever. And the idea is like to have like a laboratory or a workshop or a farm of, of talents. And I choose a writer, someone we want to create homage to, like Bialik or Yonavola, Cholea Goldberg or Avam Sutskever. And I choose a team or a, a director. I invite him or her to do the film, but other professionals and artists, and we go on a voyage of two or three years, each one of the films. And then the film comes out. It's an anthology, it's not a series, because the films are not, they, they don't look like another, one another. Right, and nor are they connected in any way. It just so happens. They're each unique and individual, right? Yes, but the concept is just, you know, they have the life story. It begins in the birth and ends in the end, and you can do whatever creative thing you want to do. Mm-hmm. I still want to learn more about you and your process, but it's such a great transition for us to start talking about A.B. Yoshua, which is so different from these other films because all of these other, the 16 other films that you've made, the the subject is dead. Yeah. And that is not the case for this one. Well, it is now. Well, it is now. May he rest in peace. But at the time, it wasn't. So so how did you approach that differently compared to the ones that you had done already? The challenge is all, all the time to reinvent, right? And to determine what is the film or the subject. 
So it was very different to do about a female poet, about Shabazi, Yemenite poet who died 400 years ago, Mohammed Avram Sutzkever, the Yiddish poet. So every film is very, very different. But more of it is very different to do a film with a, with a living uh, persona. And it began with him asking me to do it. He asked me, if, am I making films about living people? And I said no. And then I, ch- I regretted that. I said, how can I say no to A.B. Yeshua? A.B. Yeshua is the number one is the, is the leading Israeli writer. He tells right. us he's, he's, you know, this the writer. How can I say no? And I got back to him and he said, ah, oh, maybe no, maybe no. But he was persuaded easily. <laughs> it didn't take him, it wasn't very hard for me to be persuaded. And then we spent, you know, two, two years together, I think. And he, he became a friend. He lives right uh, like uh, a mile from me or so. Wow. So I found a friend, a neighbor, a very, very curious man. Mm-hmm. And the man is very important in the cultural history of Israel. Tremendously important. If you read him, you, you read very interesting story of Israel. So it takes you on a very interesting, sensitive, fantastic story of, of Israel. And Israel is his country, is not on, so much known in the States, and also Italy somehow. So it's Israeli very much and Italy little. I was going to say, it looks as though he's very popular in Italy. Why do you think that is? Uh, well, in the 80s, uh, something happened in Italy, and they adopted uh, A.B. Oshua and Amosos very much, um, and they became uh, superstars. Hmm. It was very interesting. So, you know, you go to Milan or Venice, you would talk about the political situation as well. Nobody understood what he was talking about, but they respect so much, you know, intellectuals and writers there. It was applauded, it was loved, it was there 50 times. So that's, uh, wow. you know, how can you, how can you explain stardom? You cannot explain celeb- celebrities. How celebrities? No, 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 of course. But do you think that there are themes in his stories that resonate with Italian people? Or it just so happens that the translation was successful, you know, and it, or it was just unrelated and it was this lightning in a bottle moment where, I mean, and maybe, maybe can't explain it. Yeah, it's a good question. It's very original. It's the second very original question that you asked me. The first one about the film. <laughs> you find gaps in the <laughs> in the narrative. Uh, but I think he told, uh, but all the rest of the question are also very good. But I think he has a, I think he's a very uh, strong Mediterranean storyteller. And that's, oh, interesting. In this way, he's different than the other Israeli writers. Amos also was not a Mediterranean. You know, he was a Sabre Ashkenazi uh, uh, peace movement storyteller. Grossman is different. And uh, A.B. Oshua, uh, you know, dance on the several weddings of the Mediterranean, uh, Morocco, France, uh, Greece. Hmm. A very interesting interaction and storytelling connected with, with the Palestinian minority inside Israel and outside of Israel, I mean, in the West Bank and uh, Etc. So he opened windows, Mediterranean windows, which the other great ones did not do. It's very similar also to David Shachar, which is not remembered anymore. Mm. Was another a bit Mediterranean, interesting writer. Was very popular in France, so it also expands a bit. Hmm, that is very interesting. I mean, you just talking about kind of these diverse populations. He get he's he was a very uh, political man. He was very political, man. That's the same as, uh, as Amos Oz. Mm-hmm. And I think he, he liked to, to arouse uh, uh, attention and to be enfant terrible. He loved it. And I yeah. understood that several times he did it in a 
almost awkward, maybe a little bit embarrassing way in the States. Mm. Yes, in his recent years, he used to go and say, you know, to, in the Jewish Congress or Jewish circles, you are not real Jews. Only the Zionists are real Jews. It's all things that did not cause so much, uh, create so much sympathy about uh, for him. And I, I, I thought that his political writing, political thought and political talk are a, a bit of a very nice and a little bit childish way to draw attention. And I, mm. I was fond of it, but I thought this is not a story. The story no, no. is the writer and, uh, and, the, and the sensitive thinking artists beyond the, the noise, you know, behind the noise, behind the noises. Yes, and that, yeah. so this, the film focuses on that. Right, right, right. And it's so interesting because, right, it's very much focused on AB as a, as a creative person, um, but it also doesn't, sh- you don't shy away from him being political, right? The, you, there are moments throughout the film where uh, we do see that part of him. And so it's not as though you erase that in the film, which I also think is just really great. It just, that's not what the focus is of the whole thing. And you see, he's confused. No, yes, sometimes it's confusion. There's a logical confusion with him about mm. his uh, Mizrahi and Sephardi origin. Something is not relaxed there. Something is not settled there. That's one political area. And the other political area, we go to the Palestinian territories, we go to, you know, sort of Palestinian Authority, PLO headquarters, to meet with, with leaders or officials there. And then he talks like a classical lefting, but he's not very logical, but he talks like that. And then you see his tendency to harmonize, which is also another thing that he has. He wants to harmonize Israel. He wants to, like a Mediterranean, that everybody should live in peace. Yes, the Mizrahi and Ashkenazi should live in peace, the Jews and the Arabs. And he goes and he tries to make order. And that's something nice that he does, that I was appreciating him about it. I, at some point in the film, doesn't he say something about how everybody should basically forget what what's the word that he uses dementia. dementia right everybody should have dementia so that they we can kind of come back as one on the same playing field which is just a really interesting way to kind of think about it you know forget about the past forget about the history and just kind of live in the moment he said we are all suffering here for from extra too much too much past too much memory too much historical right. memory someone has to pay for it we cannot pay for it it's a contradictory it makes us suffer it causes valiant val- violence and it's also you know it's a beautiful imagination of a writer you can imagine mm-hmm. you know you know it's like dementia in the water everybody gets a little bit demented mediterranean peaceful, (laughs) I wish. Yeah, I mean, it's also, it's an interesting uh, kind of metaphor for trauma in general. You know, I think we all, whether it's, you know, you talking about being bullied as a kid and how that altered who you are, but if you forgot about your bullying as a kid, how would that make you, how would that change who you are today? You know, and I think similarly... Uh, obviously, you know, everything going on in the Middle East for as long as it's been going on, I think should everybody forget that, it would it would create a whole new world. But the question is, can you create and can you, is, is the best way is to forget? Right, and maybe not. And I will add another layer that he was married to a psychoanalyst. 
the ha. most influential person in his life was his wife, the psychanalyst. Yeah. And they were, uh, and you see the traces of that. Wow. Oh, that's very interesting. Something that I find so beautiful about the film is that very early on, and I'm not, so I'm not spoiling anything for folks that haven't had a chance to see it yet. You know, he speaks about having dread that he can't create anymore. He's at a place in his life where he doesn't know if it's even possible. Um, And so I'm curious to hear from you, you know, as a creative person, do you think that someone who's creative could ever stop creating whether they think, whether or not things are coming to them? Well, he said he was he was afraid that he could not create anymore on the one hand, but I think what he was saying that he would not create such good work so far that he used to do before. Yeah. He was losing it, perhaps. And he was a bit losing it, you know. His latest work was not as such as great as and he said, you know, I I came to my peak at the age of forty. Mm-hmm. Poets usually they say come to the peak at the age of twenty five. Oh, and wow. you know, and you, 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 you are an artist because you cannot do anything else. You're not doing it for the money. You, that's you know, that's the thing that you do. And and uh, it's very interesting to look at someone who's like eighty, who looks at his all uh, layer timeline, and said, mm-hmm. "This is the peak." I don't know how many reach peak at the age of seventy or eighty. I'm not sure that so so many. And what I loved about him, he was all the time very honest and frank about, um, uh, you know, the um, ups and downs. Yeah. Very honest, very honest looking at himself. Yes. But I, but also I, I saw this liberating power of, of art and writing with him. He was never uh, uh, afraid to be alone. He had, he had his writing as a friend. And I really saw it, you know, he was talking to me in his phone calls and then he was got an idea, running. I said, he was so happy and so proud <laughs> that he could write. I know it's 80-something. It's just wonderful to see. Right. It was, that is, right. uh, you still maintain the joy and vitality and it doesn't become uh, gray and it doesn't become the something to do again. It's still the original, the passion. Mm-hmm. And I was envied about how you know the chakra, the chakra was open, baby uh, So I want to imitate him. How he can he continue and working with open chakras? Well, and it's interesting because the film. I feel like so many things I've seen about artists are either they when they become a writer for the first time, or at the peak of their career, or they're reflecting on their life. But this wasn't any of those things. This was a writer at the end of their career and at the end of their life. And while there was a little bit of reflecting, it wasn't about the reflections. It was about this kind of, I, I, I hate to say it, but it's, a, it's about the final chapter, the last chapter. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the title, the last chapter? How did, how did that come to be? Uh, the, the the title was to be the last affair in Hebrew is like roman, so it's both mm. a novel and affair, last love mm. of Abi Yeshua, and then he said no, it's too romantic, don't that? Let's call it the last chapter of uh, of Abi Yeshua. So we we discussed and uh, we decided that 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 would be the name. But I was also impressed by the seriousness, you know, how he treated his writing with seriousness. This is no joking matter but it's not pomposic, yes? 
and how you yeah. know, this is something that I do. I'm very proud. I take it very, very seriously. And it gained me so much uh, wonderful things in my life, in the world. It was very nice to see also. So how, yeah. how you know, creativity is a vehicle to have a fulfilling life. And, you know, all the time writing in a newspaper every week or two, people calling all the time, wanting to write that, write for the, this film, this film. It was good, interesting to see, huh? Yehoshua talks about his process in the film. Can you tell us a little bit about, other than gathering the best of the best, what, what does your process typically look like in terms of um, piecing these films together? Uh, what it, it begins with a search of a, of a concept, Mm. And it's a quite a long one. And then, you know, I have many, many lists and there's several days of shooting. And then I, I gather archives and there's so many things that are not, you know, I think it's like 60 hours for an hour. That's the ratio. Wow. That's about the ratio. Sometimes it's a bit more. And so I work with the 60 hours with the, with the editor and it takes about a year because then we try to tell the story like Big Melion to cover the story the, to find the story from the ruins from the rock yeah to carve mm-hmm. it to carve it but you know the, the animation and the music and everything else comes later uh, yeah. and you have to do a, a, a process of imagination it was very unique to me to do it with, with a living person because mm-hmm. you know I, Amos Oz and the other people died so many years ago so I, I, I'm, I have a sense of the story but here, the this, this story we kept involved, you know, when you had COVID, you might die. We have cancer, might be war, uh, missiles. Uh, who knows what will happen? <laughs> Just a few possible things. Like <laughs> know, on the menu. The <laughs> you say COVID. Can, what was that process like? Because this, this was some of it was during COVID. And so because, you know, it was waves of, co- of COVID. Uh, so the basic film is in his house. And we go to places that are not far, which which are actually Jerusalem and uh, and and Haifa also. We, we met students in Haifa, so we go to the two major city in his life. So that all, all the time changed the script. We could not to the French, and all the abroad was 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 uh, cancelled. But um, you know, it's, the film is, is organic. Uh, it it you feel what is the length, and you feel when when it's time to to wrap it up. There were so many scenes throughout the film that just were simple and and kind of stunning and that you got to be a fly on the wall, I think was very special. There's one, well, the two that stand out to me. Um, one was when he was in his kitchen doing the dishes and the story that he tells, which again, I won't spoil, but it was just so beautiful. Um, but the second one I'm curious to ask you about, he is sitting in a theater watching actors do read lines from a play of his and what was that experience like watching him watch them because for me as the as a as a viewer watching him in that space was was really special and so for you to be in the room what was that like for you Okay, the first scene, by the way, the dish, the wash, the dishwashing scene, uh-huh. uh, the photographer, the cinematographer, Avner Shachaf, is a very, very good one. He told me to go away. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, Bully, Shua prepared us the schnitzels. We had the schnitzel, you see the schnitzel? For yes. And then the cinematographer told me to go away. So, we just two of them. 
Uh, so it's very, very intimate. I think it's a, it's a beautiful, touching scene. Yeah. And it tells a story there. I forgot your special question about the second well, scene. I will, I'm going to, I'll add to it because, so the question was about watching him in the theater watch his work, because that I think was just very special. But, but to add to that a little bit, you know, you have a bachelor's degree in Hebrew literature, you have a master's degree in Hebrew literature, and here you are working with this, I, I mean, you must have studied all of his work. You must have studied his life while you were studying your bachelor's and, and master's degrees, you know? So what was this experience like for you? And then, you know, I feel like the cherry on top, watching him watch his work and watching him create. I I can only imagine someone in your position, um, what how, how meaningful this was to you. Extremely meaningful. And I got back and read, of course, all these 30 novels for, for the making of uh, the film. And mm-hmm. I was doing like the haiku. I was marking what should be inside, which paragraph, which word, which sentences I should choose as a selective, you know, examples of his work to demonstrate his talent. Um, so I was reading all of his work again. I was with him. I was <laughs> seeing him writing a new. Um, so, of course, it's, uh, and I w- had the responsibility of to make it a film out of it. Um, but at the same time, you want to, immediate, uh, con- warm connection, friendship, mm. you know, we looked at each other in the eyes and it was okay. It was relaxing. It was soothing. It was okay. And I felt, you know, I found a, f- a new friend, which is younger than me. I felt he was younger than me hmm. in his, in his spirit, in his vitality. Uh, yeah. So I had a new young friend. Uh, 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 in the shape of an 84-year-old writer. Wow. Uh, taking him to the, the theater, uh, I asked both, both actors, which is some of the most remarkable actors in, in Israel, Odette Kotler and Leo Arivlin. They were married in the past. They were good mm. friends with Joshua in Haifa, in the Haifa years, in the 70s and 80s. And now they're doing this play, which is an autobiographical play of Haifa Joshua and, uh, and his uh, mother, that has mm-hmm. to go to old old house, um, and and then he, he he goes there. He had his two cameras. We hired the the, the theater. It was empty with well, COVID because mm-hmm. with no other option. Right, he was course. watching his his uh, the reflection of his of his mother there. So happy to see his play, to see his work, and to see him reflected. It was charming. You mentioned going back and rereading all of his work so that you could pull pieces. Uh, to be interstitially put into the film. So, you know, to our listeners who haven't seen it yet, there are there are quotes that are pulled from Yoshua's work, uh, and paired with those quotes are drawings, animations. How did how do you go about choosing those? How did that come to be? Is that something that you do in your other films as well? Was it specific to this? What was what was that about? Each film has different design and animation. In this film, mm. I worked with Erez Gavish, who is one of the leading uh, teachers in Bezalel Academy in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. He's a fantastic uh, artist. And he took uh, very plain watercolors moments with little movements. So it's like moods, moods and scenes in watercolors. Very, very gentle. And we chose, you know, not the classical instruments that you do in, uh, in literary films which are violin and piano. 
So not violin and piano, but things that, uh, you know, a trumpet or think a little bit more Mediterranean for the music that will be a little bit different because it was a little bit different. So that is the music, the score. And then he has the paint, the uh, uh, paintings that are a little bit animating with the readings of these two actors that frame the film. He goes to see them in the theater. Later, uh, they will sing the he, she, uh, Leo Arriven will sing the last uh, song of the of the film. Um, so really? he come in and out of the reality of uh, of of the film. Um, uh, one of the things that was intriguing to me was to see this. It's called I think it's four, called Four Seasons. So the two major novels of him as Mister Money. The alternative story of Zionism and Four Seasons is called in Hebrew Molcho. Fantastic novel, and some of the paragraphs are from there. And this is a story about a man, a Sephardi man, that loses his, his Ashkenazi wife to cancer. And what happens to him in the Four Seasons, in the year after she, she dies? How does he return to life? And there was very interesting um, parallelism between what he's telling in the story and what he experiences now. So he envisioned his, uh, it was a prophetic novel. And wow. It was charming to see how he wrote about his present uh, 40 years ago. Since you went back and read them so recent, all of his novels so recently, do you have a favorite? This one. This, uh, I think it's, it's, a, it's a masterpiece. It's Four yeah. Seasons. I think it's called Four Seasons in English. It's called Molcho. Uh, and it's a, it's a beautiful novel about you know he his wife died and he goes yeah. so he's trying with another woman doesn't worry he goes to Berlin something happens there well don't give it away I'll read it I, I don't want to. <laughs> but you know he has very nice sense of humor um, and he's a fantastic to- storyteller I was sitting in uh, I think two years ago when I began to do the film I was sitting in Berkeley with some of the major people that teach Hebrew literature and culture. And you see, you know, is um, is is tricky because he speaks very plainly, and he looks like very he looks plain. Yes, his language is not. But when you dive into novels, he's a magician. Uh, he takes you to very very interesting journeys in his writing. He's a really, really fantastic writer. I cannot uh, say, I cannot give examples. I can just say it and you yeah. have to believe me. I know, we'll, we'll believe you and we'll also have to read them ourselves. Part of the film, you know, again, seeing his process, seeing the creativity, um, you know, every film, every story, every play has this engine, has a dramatic question, has something that keeps the play moving. What is that for you? What is... Yair Kedar's engine that keeps you moving. Is it what do you what do you what are your aspirations? What do you want to create films that move people? Do you want to create, but you know, is it just do you want to live a happy life doing whatever it is that you're doing, even whether it's films or otherwise? What's what is the what is your engine that wakes you up every day and keeps you going? I'm amazed by the fact you know that I can have. Uh, not visions, you know, but ideas, creative ideas. Mm-hmm. People give me money to do them, and I have this wonderful artist to work with, and films come out of it. But now it's films, you know. I was, after I finished the Yoshua film, I said, okay, now I'm going to do a, a queer musical. I was like thinking, what, what? So I'm all the time thinking about 
what to do next. But now the major things, you know, I have a film coming out about Spinoza, the Dutch Jewish philosopher in November, which mm. I produce. Not about, about Karl Marx, but the big things I'm doing for next year. That will be the peak of the Hebrews. Film number 19 is a story of Sigmund Freud. Very complicated international production. Very thrilling. And there's a very interesting queer aspect there. Um, so, you know, I, I, I have a very good things to get up in the morning to find myself yeah. attached to and ask questions about and f- have, give me energy in the rest of the day. I love that. Um, uh, all right. One last thing I'm curious about, because you mentioned this at the beginning, you said that it was books that got you through some hard times when you were a kid. Um, we have done a series that we've called books that changed my life. And so I'm wondering what, if you could say a book from your youth that you feel like was really there for you that changed your life, what would that be? The Golden Notebook by Doris Lessing. She won the Nobel Prize. Mm. But the, no- the Golden Notebook is like five notebooks. It was describing a different layer. But I thought this was the most amazing film about femininity and being a woman. I said, mm. why shouldn't one day like a queer person do something similar? I'm waiting ever since I'm waiting for this. But that's, I was diving into female words from five different levels and areas, sometimes parallel. And you have different colors and then you have the golden notebook. So this is like, it was, a, um, uh, uh, I think, was a book that saved me. So I owe Doris Lessing and I'm waiting for the queer version. And um, Wait, why are you waiting? Write it yourself. After Freud, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> what would Freud say about it? <laughs> He'd probably have some things to say. Um, I'm, I love it. Mazel tov on the last chapter of A.B. Yoshua. We're so excited to have it and host it at the Marlene Meyerson Jason C. Manhattan. And thank you for your time today. Thank you very, very much. Thanks. You too. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. The Other Israel Film Festival 2022 is completely hybrid. In-person screenings will take place November 3rd through the 10th. Virtual streaming dates are November 3rd through the 13th of 2022. You can learn more about how to watch the last chapter of AB Yoshua at otherisrael.org. And you can use the code ARTSIDEAS22 for discounted tickets. That's A-R-T-S-I-D-E-A-S-2-2 for discounted tickets. A correction for this episode. The English translation of Yair's favorite A.B. Yoshua book is actually titled Five Seasons. This podcast is produced by Udi Ehrman and me, Jason Blitman. Our editor is Matt Temkin with music written and performed by Pearl Wolf. 76 West's fall podcast season will release a new episode every other week, so make sure to subscribe so you'll be the first to know when that new episode drops. Until next time. <laughs>